0: <laughs> okay, we thank all of our sponsors um, First and foremost uh, the, Our series sponsors Michael and Phyllis Miller uh, Who sponsored the series In, in commemorating the fourth year Outside of Phyllis's father Dr. Meyer Weiner Chaim Eir Ben Yaakov Nachum Beliba We also thank our sponsors for the month uh, Joni and Moshe Pollack uh, anonymous And uh, our weekly sponsors Avram and Miriam Deutsch Dalia Orlev, And Esther and Shalom Parnas we Thank all of them And uh, of course all of our learning Should be for the merit of, uh, of Our holy soldiers They should be protected And of course that our hostages Should be brought home okay. So here we are We're getting to the end of Shmuel Aleph Really at the very very end And we're, we're kind of starting Shmuel Bet A little bit as well Um, it's interesting, you know, these are, these are Christian divisions. It's really one book, Shmuel, but the Christians, they split it up. And for, you know, for practical purposes, we use their chapters and verses and, you know, chapter eight, verse 11 and and so on and so forth. But I I think, I I don't know if if I were the one who was splitting it up, I would have added a couple more chapters to the first book of Shmuel, uh, if you're going to divide it. In any event, because really these, led, these the first couple of chapters of Shmuel Bet are are, are finishing up what's happening in Shmuel Aleph. So, uh, in order to this is all by design, right? We're not just rolling right into Shmuel Bet. This is very much uh, a wave of kind of, of summarizing and, and, and bringing everything together that we've been learning. So, Shmuel Bet begins right after Shaul is, and his sons are killed in battle. And it begins with a, a very interesting encounter with an Amalekite convert. Okay, mot Shaul. So after Shaul died, David shavmi Hakotata Amalek. Now David was not part of that whole battle. If you remember, he was all the way in the south, saving his his wives and all the children and the, the wives of his men. Um, and after he killed uh, all those Amalekites, he came back to Tziklag, which is where he was uh, he, he was before. Now on the third day back, a person came out of the camp from Shaul. And his clothing is torn, and there's uh, there's there's he's put earth on his head. Does this remind anyone of anything? This verse, this pasuk, the beginning of Sefer Shmuel, that first terrible battle when thirty thousand men. You know, 4,000 men on the first day and then 30,000 men on the next day. And they, they took the Aron. It's pretty much the exact same wording. And what's amazing, right? He comes the, and a man from, this says, from the tribe of Binyamin ran away from the battle and came back to Shiloh. Right? And he his clothing was torn and there was earth on his head. Right? And he told Ali the terrible news. And who did the rabbis say that person was from Binyamin? Shaul, yeah, we we learned that that midrash um, that Shaul came that he had that after Goliath Goliath, he was the right the rabbi say he was the one who took the aron after he killed Chafni and Pinchas that he, he took the aron and Shaul seeing that that happened he with with great courage he jumped up opened up the aron took out the luchos and escaped with them back to Shiloh. Right, which is a, a wild thing. So here we are now, after shaul's you know after Shaul is killed, another person runs right from the from the battle, the same it has to be it, 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 it can't be by accident, right? It, it, it's written in this way. So he comes to David, Va and he falls to the earth and prostrates himself, clearly with great respect for David. David, where'd you come from? And he says, I ran, you know, I escaped from the camp of Israel. So what happened? Tell me, He right? can only imagine that David desperately wanted to know. His people were in war. Right? Many people ran away. and Many people died. Bigam, And Shaul and Yonatan, his son, died, right? You can imagine how David feels. It doesn't tell us. But his best friend, right? He just finds out. His best friend and his father-in-law. His father-in-law and his brother-in-law. So how do you know that he died? He made Sha'ul of Yonatan binal. Bahar Gilboa right, I was on Hargilboa in the battle. And Sha'ul had fell on his on his spear, right on his sword. Um, and the the enemies were were getting very close to him. Right? They were all around him. He was surrounded. So he looked behind him and he saw me. and he called out to me and, he, and I said, here I am. And he said, who are you? And I said, I I'm said, I'm, I'm an Amalekite. Like what is an Amalekite doing there? The Amalekites are not, they're not buddies with the, with the, with the, Plishtim, with the Philistines and they're certainly not our buddies. Right, said, so what was he doing there? Right? That's a good question. So he says, Shaul, Said, Stand over me and kill me. Because he, he fell in his sword to kill himself, but it wasn't happening immediately. And he was in terrible agony. Because I still have some life in me, right? He's going through terrible pain. So I stood, by, I stood there right over him and I killed him. And I, I knew that he could not live based upon what I saw there. And I took the, the crown that was on his head and the bracelet on his arm and I brought them to you. Wow. Right? He's probably assuming that he's going to get a very uh, big, big reward. Right? This is the man who was trying to kill David. And here he is, he's bringing him his, his crown essentially saying this belongs to you. HaMelech right? David. So, but but he, David responds by taking his clothing and ripping it they right, gam and then all the men did as well cuz so that's a very powerful example he's not celebrating the death of shaul he's mourning the death of shaul right, they, they, they wept they cried i mean they and they they brought they, they said eulogies and they fasted right, for the rest of the day al shaul va yonatan benova alama shamash ba israel and also for all the people of the, all the Jewish people who died, right? We don't know their names, but they, how many people gave their lives that day who fell by the sword? And he says again to him, like, you know, where are you from? What's the deal? An Amalekite? Like, what's an Amalekite doing in battle? And he said to him, Ben Ish Ger Amalekia Nohi, I am the son of an Amalekite convert. Interesting. So whoever he loved David, lo yareta li Mashiach Hashem. how did you not fear to, to put forth your hand and to kill the anointed one of Hashem? If anyone is careful about that, we know it's David, right? I mean, he had many opportunities and many good reasons to kill Shaul, but he refused to. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. Shaul so was about to die. He was begging the guy to kill him. Uh, very died. good. Him. Uh, uh, yeah. Very good. It's an obvious question. You're asking. You ask. Well, okay. But, but how did we we'll get there? How did Amalek know that David was the anointed one? The no, so so he didn't say. Any, did he say that he but was he anointed? Did? No, no did David. David is referring to Shaul as the anointed no, no, one. No, but Not he me. brought in the crown because like, of what? public knowledge. Well, I mean, at this point, it had become it had the word had gotten out that David was anointed by this point, um, and uh, and also look, it's become clear that this was that David was the you know, had a whole following. And remember, <laughs> this is what we talked about in the last few Shira, and, and Diveri HaYamim it talks about all the men, the fighters who were streaming to him from all the other tribes. I mean, there was a clear shift that was happening from Shaul to David. And even though David refused to kill Shaul, it doesn't mean that he wasn't <laughs> becoming a threat. He was. He was becoming like his own independent kingdom, right? He, at, here in Gaza, right? That's where he is. But was he necessarily bringing the crown because David king or because he was showing off look I have well he prostrated home. himself before David right I think the assumption here is is that you David are the next king and now I'm going to get a lot of favor okay. I'm going to be in a good position because I took out the last guy and I brought you his you know his, his crown that's a pretty amazing thing right uh, but unfortunately for him he doesn't get what he thinks he's going to get David calls one of the young men right gash pigabo. Kill him, and he does on the spot. He kills him. Right, your blood is on your own head. With your own mouth, you testified. You said that I killed the Anointed One of Hashem. So he's also sending a message to everybody with that. Saying, oh my gosh, you guys were on it, absolutely on it, one hundred percent. David is doing this with real thought, right? He doesn't do this on the spot. If you remember. They fast, he terror, right? they mourn for a whole day, and then he calls the guy back, and he's got a clear idea as to what he's going to do, and he puts him to death, right? So we have to understand, right? Who is this guy, and why was David killing him? What, right? As you said, it's a very good question, right? Shaul asked for it. It was a mercy kill. obligation to The king told him to do something. Ah, uh, very good. you're asking very, very well. So let's strengthen your question, because Rabbi Yehuda Leib-Ginsburg... In his Musar HaNavim, we're going to use him a lot over the next, uh, for a few sources here. So he asks your question, but he just adds more meat to it. That's all. Right? Right? This person was not, should not have been put to death. There are a lot of reasons why. There are no witnesses in the matter. It was just him and Shaul. It was only him admitting it himself. We have a principle in halacha that a person cannot, you know, make themselves into a Russia. Into you can't testify about yourself that you are a Russia, that you're an evil person and that you're deserving of death. We have a principle like that. So he, there's, no, there's, no, there's no other witnesses here. So how could you put him to death? And the reason behind that is that a person, we are, I am related to myself. So just as my parents who are here, it's wonderful to have them, cannot testify at a trial about me, because they are my relatives and they are puzzle laedus. They cannot, right, they're they're not kosher adim. So so too, I can't if I'm related to myself, I can't testify about myself. Okay? Baochare Loita Hazraha Badabar Hazad, certainly there was no warning in this matter. Nobody warned him not to kill the king. Baochar Reyasha ulkvar trefa ki khazatoha shavat, right? And he was already like a trefa. What is a tray? Right? We use the word treif kind of very broadly that for anything that's not kosher. But really, what is a trefa? Somebody that's going to die within 30 days. It's an animal that's about right that is like that is is going to die, right, within a certain amount, of, right, exactly a short amount of time. And so if you find after you slaughter the animal, if you discover something inside the animal that shows you that this thing that this animal was going to die very soon, right, then it that's a trefa, right? Even if it was slaughtered properly, right? So Sha'ul was a trefa, right? He was not going to, he was going to live, what, a few more minutes? In terrible agony, in terrible pain. Um, so you're not allowed to kill somebody who's a trefa. That's not permissible. We don't allow mercy killings. But after the fact, you're not high Misa. You're not, you, right, you don't get put to death for that in the same way that you would with a normal person. So how could it be that he get, that David just puts him to death? Right? How, do, how do we understand that? Um so there are several uh, several approaches okay number 1 says the <coughs> rod dog <R'al-Bag. It> says ziva <coughs> david so why did david command to kill him vinya <laughs> he did it at Shaul's request i was skipping to the next line so al khaviru khavobi wa khavabo kmasit um so like it's like somebody who you know who asks you to, to hurt them, and, if you, and you then go and hurt them, right, that, that, that's not excusable. And kol hamelech, certainly when you kill the king, even if he tells you to do it, why? Ein mitzvot hamelech mimasha b'aze. right? Even though the king tells you to do it, it's not going to save you from, from having done something wrong. Why? Because we have another principle in halacha. Divrei harav, divrei talmid, divrei mi right? Who do you listen to? To the, to the Rebbe or to the student? Hashem is the Rebbe. Sha'ul is the student. So Hashem says, don't kill. Sha'ul says, kill me. Who do you listen to? Right? If, if my parents command me to violate Shabbos, what's the rule? Kibber Avaim? No. Because in the end of the day, Hashem trumps a parent, right? Diveri HaRav, right? Diveri Talmid Who are you going to listen to? So just because Sha'ul told him to do it doesn't mean that it's okay. Alright? Right? It's very clear that you can't kill people, and certainly not kings. And even though there were no adam there, no no witnesses, even though legally he's, he's exempt because there were no witnesses, and he doesn't qualify as a kosher witness, he a right we have a there, there's a principle you know that that kings can can put people to death they can do things that are outside of the law and in fact i mean there's a whole very big discussion but much of jewish law is practically unworkable when it comes to criminals right if i if the only way i could ever punish a criminal is that is if we follow what the torah says we have two witnesses and they warned him before he did it i mean how many murderers are we going to catch right according to the to the torah's Approach right, it's which is fascinating. Like you're not going to catch any, almost anybody that way, right? So, so that so the Ran, the Rabbi Nisan, has a whole you know big drasha on this. One of the drashos Haran about how God created this like theoretical, uh, lofty version of justice, but that it has to go together with the king, and with with other rules. that the the government actually puts into place so that you can have a functioning society. Because you can't... Like if a serial killer, God forbid, is running around and you can't lock him up because... Oh, nobody warned him. You can lock him up. You just can't put it. to death. You can't put it to death. But, you know, I mean, this is... You have problems. you got challenges. So, but even the locking up, where does it say you can lock him up, right? That's the king. That's the... The king has the right to do that. Horah Shah writes, David Hamelech now is the king. He was anointed by Hashem. Shaul's not alive anymore. He's certainly... Right, you can argue, has the ability to, do, to, right, to, to make these decisions. Um, and, and according to the ran this, was the, this is how Jewish society always worked, even when we had Torah law in place. Um, so interesting stuff. But so even if technically, right, he was Patr Badin, David did this as a Horasha, right? For something that the moment required. Because <laughs> he was afraid that people were going to want to kill kings. You know, oh, it's like I killed Shaul, I can kill this one, I can kill that one. That's not good for David because he's the next king, right? We don't want that. So so. He's okay after the bar. This isn't a case where he killed the king. Stop. The king was going to die in a few minutes anyway, and he was in awful agony. And the Amalekite, he's the son of a convert. Nothing against. Uh, I, maybe he didn't know everything. Whoa, how? He didn't know all the laws to the last detail. And the king himself is there telling them what to do. Well, he's the son of a convert, so, you know. Okay, but, uh, but ignorance of the law, particularly when it comes to murder, is not, is not a justification. I do remember that from law school, um, right? I'm like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, whoops, right? I killed him. Who knew that was wrong, right? Um, so, but you're right. Obviously, the, the, the reason why we're spending time on this is because it's a good question, right? You're asking well, right? So... Whether you see which answer you find most satisfying now it 's not just self serving as we 'll see in a moment it wasn 't just'm not it just, If not letting go, it's i 's go, because I' about this for twenty years I'm still, I'm still so, so give it a little time, but we'll hear the rest of you know, some of the other ideas and see if anything strikes you as being appropriate but um, so Lazota his <coughs> heart, Mishloch this is why. David did not, you know, was very careful not to touch Shaul, even though so, he was just about to kill him, and he'd stopped, and he had every right to do it, because Shaul was a Rodeif, right? Sha'ul, and he, so to, for self-defense, But he felt that this was a bad precedent for Am Yisrael as a general rule. And along these lines, right again, this is the Rabbi Yudalay Ginsburg, he says, "When lomar the lechach matzah malchus ra'ui So He says, therefore, according as the way of the law of kings, it's appropriate to kill him. It wasn't just about himself, and as we'll see, you see in Shmuel Bet, right? Who takes over for Shaul? Ishboshet, right? the uh, the weak the weakling son, because all of his strong sons were killed in war. And Ishbosheth gets to take over as the next king. And what happens to Ishbosheth? He's, He's killed. His head is chopped off, right, and brought to David. So th- there, there's a danger here, right? Once you start killing people, Shaul, then you might kill his kids and you might kill his family. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the natural thing is here, right? What did this Amalekite think? He thinks, right, I'm going to make David so happy because I'm going to kill his. His rival, the one who, right? And now I'm clearing the path for David to be king, and David doesn't want to bring vengeance down upon Shaul's house, right? I mean, he loved Yonatan. He loved, you know, Michal is his wife. What is he? He doesn't want to do this. He that he do that. He and he swore exactly. So he swore to Yonatan exactly, and to Shaul, right? So he was setting an example specifically for those who might hurt on the family of Shaol. Okay? That already, that's not just about himself, right? And that's a much more immediate and direct concern uh, that people were going to go after Shaol's family. Okay? Um, that's answer number one. Answer number two, right? Number source number five here. Mashadano Tolemitah. The fact that David killed him, Zebulim nation, David ain mikablim gerim mi Right, so David remembered that we don't accept converts from Amalek, which is interesting, right? Because we also say about you know uh, about Haman that like his uh, his descendants will be learning Torah and Bnei Brak. I specifically heard that we do. So it's an interesting question, right? But well, if you think about it though, logically if you're supposed to kill the Amalekite, we have a constant obligation. We're not talking about, like, today, that we're not sure who's an Amalekite, right? Does Hamas qualify as Amalek, like Rosaloveitchik says, maybe? Or whatever. Now, today, it's unclear, right? We can't just go around killing people who say they're, you know, because we don't know who's an Amalekite. This is a blood, you know, a, you know, Benachar Ben Amalekite. So, you can easily argue, right, that how could you possibly convert him? You have to kill him before he can come in to convert. I, I can counter, counter that just as easily as that that it makes sense what you're saying that he should be dead uh, he should be put to death but you didn't counter that maybe it's a religion and the moment he's no longer that religion he converts to judaism or even if he converts to police <laughs> then he's no longer subject to death yeah so it's interesting I, I this i thought this was i'm just bringing all the answers that i found it's kind of fascinating right I, I don't know. I wondered about the Amalekah. What does it say? How do we? How did they approach that? And how? I, I always. Watch, how did that happen? With Haman's great great grandchildren are going to be learning Torah in Benybrak, right? Look around B'rach when you're there. <laughs> you know, see if you could find any resemblance. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone there with the That's the, the, truth. Trash That's the, proof the that the <laughs> hundred is accepted. If He, if he manages to express interest in the brain before before the sword gets put into him is hands off isn't it interesting right exactly so i don't think that that's why i don't think this is a common answer that's offered because of all the difficulties that we're presenting here meaning when you have many many answers that that means that you have a problem right we don't have one simple clear answer i think some of these are stronger than others but it gets even more interesting so who is the identity of this person it says rabenu yishaya number 6 Ben Ishger Amaleki Nohi. Yesh Omrim Hu Doeg HaEdomi. Doeg, the guy who, right, who is who turned Shaul against David, right, who who got Shaul to kill the eighty-five Kohanim of Nov, the evil, evil Doeg. We have a whole Tehillim, right, Tehillim fifty-two, which is all about the, David crying out to Hashem, "Save me from the evil Doeg." Now he comes, you know, with the crown of Shaul in his hands. Can you imagine? The movie, no, the so the only way I understand it, this is why all the TV and movies that we watch are worthwhile and, <laughs> and not a waste of time. Because, because, right, I've seen, like, how many shows have we seen like this where, like, you know, it's about medieval kings, you know, in England or something, and then you have the guy in the background who's the advisor to this one, and then all of a sudden he's the advisor to the enemy, right? And he's, like, switching sides. And Doeg Kadomi, if there's anybody who would fit such a profile, it would be Doeg Right, that's who he was. He was a man of falsehood, right? Now he sees his man, and it makes sense. Why is he there? Why is this random gear? Why is this person there? Right, and so and maybe Shaul didn't recognize him. He's dying. He's lying there. Uh, he sees somebody. Who are you? Help me, right? And and it makes sense. It would be doing Is he noir, Doeg, right? Well, why doesn't do recognize him? Right. He does, right. So it's a good question. It's a good oh, question, which we'll explain the next answer. Maybe but twenty so years like Yosef insane. and his brothers. Is the whole Amalekite thing a lie and that's made up? Well, well, Doeg ha, Edomi Edo means he's from Esav, and who comes from Esav is Amalek, right? So that's and David, of course, had tremendous hatred for Doeg, and he said, "You that answer is why he deserves to be put to death." Obviously, it's a little bit of a forced. Right? <clears throat> what do you mean? He didn't recognize it. You have all good questions. All good questions, right? But then the next view, the next view in the Tanchuma, mm-hmm. right, says, mm-hmm. This was the son mm-hmm. of Doeg, which would explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Then already, right, it answers all the issues, right, Shaul would not have known him necessarily, mm-hmm. right? And David would not have known him. And it goes with, what he and he's, and it goes with the, the hatred that David would have for him and his family. And Edom and Amalek can be one, right? So that could be, right? And so, Damecha al Roshacha, Hard Beidamim Ira Kohanim. So, what does that mean? Who do you think, who helped Doeg, right? If you remember, nobody wanted to put the, the Kohanim to death, right? So, no, so, Doeg did it. What, so he killed 85 people by himself? Oh, his son. It's likely that he would have done it with his sons, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We don't get so many details, so we get to... So, wait, so, so, so play what's, the, what's the purpose of his son? Okay, he's there. Why is he there? He wants to witness it? Why is he there with Shaul? Yeah. Because he could have been there, like, meaning he was there with his father. Who knows? He was there, meaning he's the son of, of Shaul's top advisor. That's not crazy. Now it makes more sense. Why is, a, why is this guy, a Ger Amaleki, mm-hmm. or the son of, a, of an Amaleki convert, why is he there? Right now, now it makes more sense. So this one I thought actually, can't yeah, we have a do we have a source for it? No, I mean outside of the Medrash. I mean the Medrash tells us, but but uh, it's 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 definitely more logical and it explains it explains David's anger. But I thought that was uh, all very interesting. Um, but I have one more answer, which I think is a little bit more fundamental, right? And and I, you know, the which which I think can help us understand a bunch of things. Why was David so quick to kill this guy, even if he's not Doeg or Doeg's son, whoever else? The moment Shaul died, his legacy was up for grabs and up for discussion, right? This is what happens, right? People, you know, we treat presidents in America a certain way while they're alive. And then while they, after they die, right, their legacy comes up for, right? So some people have gotten better over time. Truman, Reagan, every, people look back, right, a Democrat or Republican, but they're generally looked back upon as being great presidents. In their time, right, I mean, they were attacked. I mean, Truman was like a joke, right? It's only in retrospect that he became, right? Legacy is a very big question. It doesn't always treat everybody kindly. I don't think it's treated Jimmy Carter. All that we knew about Jimmy Carter probably, you know, the moment he stepped down. But certain people, right, it be, you know, it's, it's a little bit up for grabs. It's, un, it's not so clear. And Shaul's legacy was certainly not so clear, right? There was definitely good and definitely bad. So according to this Amalekite, Shaul dies in fear and in agony. Amodna alayu stand over me and kill me ha hashavatz. I'm in agony, right? It's a terrible image of Shaul at the end. It's not exactly heroic, right? It's a pitiful. It's like a Nebuch description of Shaul's death. So, but according to David, Shaul died a hero, as we'll see, right? This is the you know how he when he does his eulogy for David coming up soon. For sorry, David does for Shaul, and he was disgusted. With this Amalekite who's trying, clearly trying to degrade Shaul in front of David and all of his men. And essentially the eyes of all of the people. You think if he had not put him to death, what do you think this guy would have done? Would have gone all over Israel, right? Ripping into Shaul because he's now one of David's guys, right? He would have done that. There's no question. He had a story to tell. I was the one who brought the king, you know, brought the, this lowly king, Nebuch, right? He, begging me at the end he begged me to kill him and I brought his crown to a man more deserving to David right that would have become the story right um, and he because in his hope that David would reward him because you're right you're the one um, but, but of course that's you know David doesn't want that image which is very interesting right as we see through the rest of this chapter David consciously tries to build up a heroic image of Shaul in the minds and the hearts of the people um, and he does that through his eulogy, right? So take a look, number eight. Um, this is, this is uh, a few Pesukim later. Hatzvi Yisrael, Alba Motecha Halal, Ravari Waxman and Shalvim made a beautiful song with these words, right? The beautiful one, O Israel, upon your high places is slain, Eich flugi <laughs> borim, right? Ravari Waxman took these words, you know, to, for, to write about soldiers who have been killed, you know, fighting for, for Am Yisrael. Heroes, I mean, the way David... Describes him, this is nothing like what the Amalekite said. Shaul <speaking in Hebrew> lovely and pleasant in their lives. <speaking> in <Hebrew> they didn't they were not divided even in death. Kalume <speaking in Hebrew> Right, Swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. I mean, that's the image that David is trying to create here. Right, so after many, many chapters of reading about Sha'ul's decline, I mean, think about this. When did Sha'ul's decline begin? His second and major sin with Amalek happens in chapter 15. We're now we're like 15, 16 chapters later. For 15, 16 chapters, we've been reading about Shaul's decline. And we only, found, we only learned about Shaul I think chapter 9. So we got six chapters of Shaul on the up, and then 15 or 16 on the way down. Right? Our whole image of Shaul is dark. It's right? so one of decline. And yet here we are, now we're completely changing the story. He's not to be remembered as a sinner, right? The men of Yavesh Gilad, right? They, they risk their lives to bring his body home, right? They go in the middle of the night and they like cut his body down from, you know, from the, the walls of, of uh, the Plishti town and they to take him back to properly, you know, to bury and so on and so forth, right? I mean, they, went to, they risked their lives for him, right? And now he's being eulogized with great praise at Gibor who fearlessly fought for his people. But also... So he's got Shaul and Yonatan together. Yes. Yonatan being the, such so we a, talked about last week, right? That Shaul, that Yonatan, you know, talking about the greatness of Yonatan. Um, you know, that somehow he was able to sit, remain close to his father despite all the challenge. This, he has so many differences over David. Right. And his father got so angry at him, threw a spear at him, right? And yet Yonatan stayed loyal to his father while also being loyal to David. You can only imagine what that man went through. In his life. That's why he's one of the great Jews of all time. And here we are, Shaul is added to that category, right? But he goes even further. Not only does he revamp Shaul's image, he explicitly connects himself to Shaul's and to Shaul's legacy. So he takes Michal back, which is a very public statement. He's, right? Michal is my wife. He takes her back from, from Palti uh, ben Laish, right? The man that Shaul had given her to. He takes her back. I want my right. That comes in the next chapter or two. Right? That's the first one of the very first thing he demands: give me my wife back. Uh, he publicly praises later the men of Yaveshkilad for bravely standing up for Shaul's honor. He doesn't see it as a threat that they that they were loyal to the old king. He, he publicly praises them, and he befriends ultimately his his uh, former top enemy Avner later on. Right now, Yoav. Kills him. It's a whole terrible story, but he makes David makes a covenant with Avner. Why is he doing that? All of these things connect him to Shaul and to Shaul's legacy. and, and a few chapters later, we'll see that David's efforts succeed, and he is seen by the people as the legitimate heir of Shaul. Right, number nine. In chapter five of this is when he finally becomes king of everyone, they say more. We're all, you know, you're the king of Yehuda, but we're all related. We're all Jewish. We're all Am Yisrael. Even when Shaul was king, you were his top general, right? You went out and you led, right? Why is that significant? They're tying David back to Shaul. You're a natural successor. Shaul died. Ishboshet has has died by this point. And you, David, you're his son-in-law, and you're the one who went and led his armies. It's only natural that you should be king over all of us, right? So, this was this was David's goal, and, and he succeeded at it. It's really really impressive. Um, Rav Ayal uh, Vered, I found this in Olam Katan, one of the free papers they give out here every week. So, it says David Zadak, Shaul Radafoto, Right? I mean, David was the was correct. Shaul tricked him and chased him, took his wife away. Right, he uses used his whole army to fight, chase after David instead of actually fighting, you know, the enemies of Israel. Right? Uh Ainsafur David There's like a thousand reasons. Endless number of reasons why David could be could, could be vengeful against Shaul. Vidafka Khan Hachran Afshitchal David. But specifically here, right, the David's choice, right? Shah Kol Right, he said, or, oh, David David made a choice at this moment that was so significant. It's a great way, right? It just captures it. I will not replace Shaul. I will continue Shaul. Right, and this, you know, he accepted this upon himself when he was in the cave, and he could have killed Shaul, and he didn't. And then he, everything that he does afterwards, right, it continues exactly this. Right, every decision that he makes, um, and it's complicated. Right? But he understood, he learned, this is what we've talked about, that he had to give it time that he would eventually become not the Tachlif, but rather the hem-shef. Okay, And it shows and it demonstrates how precious Sha'ul was. It's not an easy thing when somebody's mistreating you to remember that that person still has good qualities. But I think that also part of it is the whole concept of his reverence for the anointed of Hashem. Absolutely. And, and that... Um, never loses that he never wavers from that ever and i think that's at the heart of, it, of all of that because he remembers that god put, must put shaul in this position for a reason right and, and it goes back to david's greatest greatest trait his defining quality which is his his closest to hashem and his willingness to listen to god as opposed to man right that is david's greatness and here as well right from a human perspective from my perspective as me david i should kill shaul Right? From a godly perspective, what right do I have? That's 100% right. That's exactly what it is. But what, but what really is this legacy of Shaul that he's tying himself to? Because right? that, that's also a question. Is that really something to be proud of? There's a lot to, you know, and, and I want to take a few minutes now to do a little bit of a retrospective on Shaul because we're really saying goodbye to Shaul now. Um, so if you look in, in uh, Divrei Hayamim, Number 12 here. It says, It doesn't say this, doesn't say this in Sefer Shmuel. But in Divrei HaYamim, it's very clear that Shaul died because of this, his sin against Hashem. This is clearly a punishment. Right? It's not just a commentary from Rashi. This is from the Tanakh itself. right? This is in the Tanakh itself that it says that Shaul died because of his sins. because Because he did not keep the word of Hashem. Um, and there are several sins that he committed here and he asked, went to the oven? the Yedoni went to that, that woman, the sorceress right, and so and he did not turn to Hashem or he wasn't, Hashem didn't listen to him for all of his sins and therefore Hashem killed him okay so, so it says uh, in the Medrash talks about the different sins that Shaul committed and I think this is the one there's a reason it's first, right? There's a reason it's first, which is that what is Shaul's greatest sin? That he killed the Kohanim of the city of Nov, right? Everything else, you know, you could say a little bit like that. <laughs> you could come up with justification to, to murder the city of the Kohanim. That was already, you know, that's, it's indefensible. Al Shechamal al-Agag, that he had mercy over Agag. Al-shaloshamal <inaudible> is If you remember... The very first thing he did wrong was when he was supposed to wait for Shmuel to bring that korban, mm-hmm. right? That's the one that people forget, you know, which I think it's in chapter, uh, mm-hmm. chapter 13, 12, maybe 12 or 13, I don't remember exactly, but it's like early on. Um, and that's a, you know, big, that was a mistake. And also how we went to the oven, the yiddoni, to the sorceress. Um, and then the next piece here, half part in, in, in the Medrash, I just thought was so so powerful. Amar Rabbi Shua Diskin, Basham Rabbi Levi, so Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu, Dor, Dor, Veshov, Hashem gave Moshe a vision of all of the future of Jewish history. What a beautiful, powerful image that he shows him. Sort of like, you know, before Yaakov died, Yaakov had these visions, right? He thought he saw Mashiach among the children of Dan, but he saw Shimshon, right? Lishu Ascha Kivisi Hashem. Oh my gosh, and then he saw the crash that was going to come with Shimshon. But right? he had this vision deep and far into the future. So Moshe Rabbeinu had the same thing. He shows all the different generations and, and, there, and the kings and, and the Chachamim and all the leaders. And I mean, I can only imagine, right, what that must have been, what a movie that must have been like, right? So Amar Lafanov Melach so, so then, Varoshaul, sorry, Sha'ul Venav, Noflin, Becharev. And he showed Moshe, Shaul, and his sons falling by the sword. Amar Lafanov, so at this point, Moshe stops the movie. He says, hey, yo, Karash Hu. Right? Melech Rishon Al Banacha, the very first king that you give your children, Yidakir Kerbacharev, is going to be put to death by sword. How could you do such a thing? Right? And only Moshe or Avraham could ask a question like that. So Amrloq Qurish Barakhou. So Hashem says, Valiya you are going to confront me about this? Immoral Kohanim Shaharag, Mikatra Gimoto. Go speak to the Kohanim that he killed. Right? Because they're the ones who are accusing him. And this is why it happened. So I, I found that to be extremely, extremely powerful. And says Rashi, right here in the next one, Achazani HaShavat, where it talks about, right, in the Amalekites' report where, that Shaul said, and I think we have every reason to believe the Amalekite, right? He thought, he, he wouldn't have thought that he had reason to lie, right? He was going to say all this as he saw it with Shaul, um, that Shaul was in pain and in agony, right, and begging to be killed. He says, so what, is, what does the Targum say? Achadani Ratita. That he was, it wasn't just physical pain, it was trembling, right? He was trembling from his sins at this moment, at these last moments of his life. And the Midrash HaGadah says, Mishum Avon Ha Shaharag. Sheharag is because of the Kohanim, because of the word Tashbates, which is like one of the part of the clothing that Kohanim would wear, Shavatz, hints to the Tashbates, right? Why was he in agony? Why was he trembling? Because he was thinking about the Kohanim that he killed. So, it's, it's, very, it's a very good question. We're going to come to this about did, did Shaul do tshuva? That, that is a very, very good question. So, but just before, just, we'll come to that in a moment. But, but just thinking about, I mean, these, you know, he's, he's got a lot of sins to carry with him, right? This is uh, Rabbi Huda Leib Ginsburg, I have a few pieces here. So he says it's not an accident. That's what I was saying before, that that's the first sin that the Medrash mentions, because this is the one that is unforgivable. Even though Shmuel responded with such anger from Hashem that Hashem's going to rip away the malchus from you, okay, so maybe you're not fit to be king. Doesn't mean you're the worst person ever, right? Doesn't mean you deserve to be killed. You're not fit. You're not fit to be king. Not all of us are fit to be king. I had a conversation. I didn't tell you about this, mom and dad. With Uriel, we talked about Mashiach, and you know, there's actually a pasuk in Sefer Micha that could be read as saying that the Mashiach will come from Efrat. Um it really most likely means that, you know, the Ben David who came from Efrat, Efrat David grew up in Ephrat, his descendant will be the Mashiach. But you could also read it, actually, as the Mashiach will come from Ephrat. So was like, do you, know, do you know any, who do you think, you know, you know any kids today that might be the Mashiach? This is what we talk about, you know, on Shabbos. Normal conversations, like... I don't think it's going to be me. I was like, "You're a Levy." He was like, "Yeah, I'll probably help the Mashiach. I was like, "Okay." <laughs> not everybody wants to be king. Not everybody needs to be king, right? It's fine, right? He's like a sweet guy, you know. He wants to help. Um, so, but it was the, but, so that already wasn't so terrible that he wasn't fit to be king. Um, but imlo nov ira koanim, had he not killed all the Kohanim, malik if moda of sanegoria. Right, you could defend Shaul when it came to a malik he was so merciful and it was so hard for him and he just his heart wasn't into it right he, he was too soft and, and loving of a Jew to, go, to do what was necessary you know like all those Jews those liberal rabbis who like to yell at me you know like when I say we got to get rid of our enemies like we have to remove them from here I'm heartless you know they're, they're loving and they're sweet so they can't get rid of a malik okay doesn't, mean, doesn't make them terrible people that's not what Hashem wants but doesn't make them terrible people so you could have said that about Shaul, that he was not mesu galak mechias amalik, that he wasn't the right guy, right? That it was just not for his personality. Avabama said no, but once he did and went and killed all those Kohanim and nov, haray heralik kolda ain hu klal bala So then he showed that as soon as you, even in an imaginary way, you know, if you're damaging his own honor, then all of a sudden Shaul was not exactly soft and loving, was he? Right, So was it, so that makes you question the Amalek thing, meaning the fact that he did not kill Agag and didn't go all the way when Hashem told him to, was that really because he was so soft-hearted? After the story of Nov, you can't say that anymore. Now you need a different reason. Why didn't Shaul fulfill God's command with Amalek? Meaning that the sin at Nov makes the other sin look a lot worse, because right? it removes his defense that he could have had for why he didn't sin there. Or it's misplaced right or be consistent you're going to tell me that you're a loving and soft-hearted person so don't don't attack kill these kohanim you didn't kill Amalek, okay so you, maybe you're not Ms. to be the the king you got to be a little bit more bloodthirsty to be the king like we say about politicians right you can't be too nice if you want to win right i mean nobody wins in america or israel if you're really such a tzaddik you know that's not how politics works so fine, you could say that. But now, Mashe Hitzrachem al Malek. now you look at it, it's because ah, his own kavod mattered more than the kavod of Am Yisrael. Why did we have to kill him, Malik? These are the brutal, evil people who were slaughtering Jews. That's what they did. They took all of you know, David's wives. They took the women, children. These are evil, sick people who attacked. Right? These are the kinds of people. And for them, you couldn't get fired up enough to kill them. For your own imaginary honor, like that was somehow damaged, that you could get fired up and you can kill all the Kohanim, right? Now it doesn't, it's not, now we don't look at it and say, oh, Shaul was too merciful. Now we look at it and we say, Shaul didn't fully grasp or appreciate what Amalek had done to Am Yisrael and to Hashem. And therefore, that's why he didn't go all the way. Had he fully understood that and felt the pain of Am Yisrael, he would have slaughtered Agag uh, right, right away, right? He wouldn't have hesitated not a question of understanding, I think. I think it's a, it's like, it's like an emotional, deep appreciation. Like, we see this. There's just some Jews you meet, and some who just don't, are lacking this grasp of, of like, a, you know, a, and a feeling for their fellow Jews. It's just not developed. It's, it's, a, it's a klipa, right? It's a terrible thing. But, you know, here it, it seems that Shaul is missing something. So this sin makes everything, it makes the other sin look a lot worse. I thought it was a very brilliant point. Um, he says about a Malik. The fact that Sha'ul gets, put, gets killed ultimately by an Amalekite, right? So there's, you know, an eye for an eye here a little bit. Right? The Sha'ul sinned because of his misplaced mercy. And therefore he with a Malik, and now he's being punished because so now one of the children of a Malik will come and will kill him, right? Out of, out of mercy. Right? So his misplaced mercy on Agag, now he gets this mercy killing from, from a Malik. It is it is kind of poetic in a horrible way, right? I mean it it is it, it is a it's, it's a good point. It's a powerful point. But beyond all of these these individual sins that Shaul committed, I think that he failed in a, in a more overarching way as a leader of the Jewish people. Right, it's something that we've talked about, but this is, when you come to the end of a, of a Sefer, now's the time to kind of remember some of these points, his lack of vision, his lack of chazon. All of Sefer Shmuel begins with chazon. And ain't chazon nifrat, there was no chazon among the people, there was no vision. So literally it means there was no prophecy, but it could have said nevua. It uses the word chazon, it's not just prophecy. People were lacking the bigger picture vision of where Am Yisrael needs to go. They were caught up in their smallness. And once Shmuel came, he changed that. He had a vision, right? And, but Shaul's vision, right, didn't match up to Shmuel's, right? He wasn't able to match that. He didn't have that long-term perspective that Shmuel had. If you remember, we learned about Shmuel that he was able to, uh, he anointed Shaul for the immediate need and he anointed David for eternity. Right, and there's part of the great, this is where Cook says this, that he was so great, he was able to handle, address the immediate issues that the people needed help with, but it was also able to think about their great, 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 great grandchildren. Most people, you know, they only think about one or the other, right? They, they're, not, they're not able to hold both together. Shaul was in the moment, right? He was like a politician, right, who's thinking right now, you know what? Let's increase social security payments to everybody. Whatever's going to happen in 10 years, who cares, Right? I'm like I won't be in office anymore. Right? That's that, that kind of an attitude, uh not worrying about the future, that lack of vision, that is that is Sha'ul, right, to a T. He only sees what's in front of him. We don't even have to go to we can take it even one step further. Like even with the hostages, they say, let's get the hostages out at any cost, it doesn't matter. And other people are saying, Well, okay fine, so we'll get these hundred and thirty-two out, and what will be later on. Are those other children that will become hostages, God forbid, are they any less valuable than the ones... Exactly. So you could say, look, that, this was, you know, this one's on Bibi. And that was such a... And look, the, the nation over, the majority of the nation was for it, for the Gilad Shalit exchange. In retrospect, I think... We have sinwar yeah, Right, we have sinwar, right. I'm saying in retrospect, it was insane what they did. Now, there were, there were, the rabbis were screaming and yelling about it. That violated all that, right? But Shaul, Bibi Shaul, right, his favorite character in Tanakh right, is Shaul, right, it, yeah, that was a very Shaul move, right, in the moment. Uh, it was great in the moment. He was a hero in the moment. And right now, right, not not exactly, right, for that reason. So, but the difference is Shaul, I'm not going to go through all the sources, but Shaul is always carrying his sword or his spear, right? And and that a spear and a sword can only fight the person who's right in front of you, as we spoke about. Um, but a sword is not enough. And that's why David in the, in, the, uh, in the eulogy, in this number 18, in the middle of the eulogy, he says, b'nei kashet, that we have to teach the sons of Yehuda how to shoot the bow and arrow. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? Like, what's going on here? What does that mean? Like, is that part of the eulogy? So the answer is, right, that uh, this is precisely what the sons of Yehuda need. Now that the sons of Yehuda are going to take over the kingdom. Now that David is going to become king and the power is going to transfer from Shaul, who only fights with the sword, to the Yehuda, we need to have a bigger picture, longer term vision. That's the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Bow and arrow, you can shoot people from far, far away, it requires long term vision. And, and who, who, fought, who else fought with the bow and arrow? Yonatan, mm-hmm. right? David and right, his right. Fr- right. Yonatan That's did, right? That was his signal. Right, so Yonatan had the vision that his father did not have, and David understands that, and also right—that's the vision that he knows that he needs to teach the people. We have to teach the people. It's not enough just to fight with a sword and a spear. You've got to fight with a bow and arrow, right? Archery. Just, I, I just, just, some, just fascinating stuff. Um, so, but I want to. We have. There's actually still have a bit more to get through here. So let's uh, let's let's keep moving forward. Um, the Radak, number twenty-one. So Yeshua Farsham says, "What does it mean, 'Lamaydi b'nei keshet'? So Mikan ve'Eloch tarich l'lamaydi b'nei Yehuda keshet. From here on out, we have to teach the sons of Yehuda how to shoot the bow and arrow. Kevan shemitu boshahul v'yonatan, because now you know we've lost Shaul and Yonatan. The Yeshua Farsham says, 'Einu mina This is not really part of the eulogy." Right, the, the other part of the eulogy we, we read before—that Hatsvi Yisrael, all that lofty language—you know, faster than eagles and stronger than lions—that was the eulogy, um, you know, right? Because otherwise, why would he be talking about this now? And it doesn't make sense. The point is, is that now, right? This is the shift, right? That he's telling his men, don't, don't have despair that Sha'ul and Yonatan have died. Ki Hamil ha the use of the bow and arrow, biyad b'nei Yehuda. That's now, we the b'nei, we, the b'nei Yehuda have this. V'lahem hi ha-gvura. We've got gevura, and we will have the vision to guide that gevura. Um, and so, v'hinehi right, b'sefer ha And then there's like a strange line. He says, and this is written in the book of the yashar. What does that mean? That is, David there is referring to Bereshah's. Where Yaakov blesses Yehuda, right? That he's going to be right. Yadecha Oref oivecha. That your hand will be on your enemy's neck. And how do you shoot your enemy's neck when they're running away with the bow and arrow? Okay. So this is the longer term vision. Um, I think you can say, and this is really, you know, what I'm not going to read it inside, but Ravi Igal Ariel says this. You could say that Shaul fell. Because he was too realistic. He was too caught up in the moment and what he thought was possible and didn't couldn't see what was not possible. We talked about this in the last few weeks. Shaul died because of, to use modern language, the concepsia, Right? That's the big word now. That's the most popular word in Israel. The concepsia, the, the conception, right? That they had this conceptia that Hamas would never do this, would never right this would never happen. Just like the conceptia that Egypt would never attack us again because there's no way they would win. Why would they attack? but then the Yom Kippur War happened and the Konsepsia was blown up, right? So Shaul had a Konsepsia that this is how it could be. He only saw this box of what he thought was realistic. He didn't have the vision to see what was possible. Who's the opposite in modern Israel of the Konsepsia? I would say it's Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kuk. Zecher Levracha. The famous story. I won't read through the whole thing, but this was like a few, on Yom a few weeks in 1967, a few weeks just before the outbreak of the Six-Day War, he gets up. It's supposed to be a happy day, right? It's Yom HaTzemu. And he starts yelling and screaming, where's our Chevron, right? Where is our Shechem, right? He goes on and on about all these places that we don't have, right? You're all happy. You're happy with what we have with Tel Aviv. We're missing the heart of, of, of Eretz Yisrael. And then within a few weeks, we were in all those places, right? They were all in our hands, right? And, so, and that's referred to as like the, as like the prophetic speech of Rev Tzvi Yehuda that many famous people were there witnessing listening to that speech of Hanan Perat many others you know like that speech has been written about endlessly because it's like it really was like a prophecy but I think what we could say is not prophecy it's Chazon Tzvi, right everybody was in the moment celebrating you know what we had in 1967 and Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook was, was thinking about way way ahead right where Am Yisrael had to go right and that, that vision you're at the vision that they that we've had that Sha'ul didn't have again it goes back to Hashem because it goes back to Hashem's destiny for the Jewish people Hashem's vision for the Jewish people Jewish people's mission so David has a a vision of the Jewish people's mission and is always thinking in terms of that which is what you just described versus the box now remember what a few weeks ago we learned uh, or maybe not a few weeks it was a few months ago when David first ran from Sha'ul who did he run to? Shmuel. Shmuel. And what, and then it, say that, it says that he and Shmuel spoke all night. Right, right? One of the most beautiful, like, you know, I just love the mystery of the Tanakh. It doesn't tell you. Right? What did they talk about? It's David and Shmuel. Two of the greatest, you know, you put like, in a handful of people, the greatest Jews who ever lived, right, in history. What did they talk about? And we're not told. The rabbis tell us. I think we brought 15 sources. They all say versions of the same thing. They were talking about the location of the Beis HaMikdash. They were talking about, right, because David and Shmuel had the chazon, the vision of where it was all headed that Shaul is lacking. right? Think about the people today who are talking about the of Mikdash and where we have to go and how we have to get there and planning and thinking and the Temple Institute and so on. And then you have all these other people a completely different planet who are living only and purely in the moment. Security, right? That's all they think about. Security, right? And obviously it didn't work, right? Very well on October 7th. So, it completely the vision of David melech it's unbelievable, but it was the vision of Shmuel Hanavi. That was the chazon that Shmuel brought. Um, but uh, we, we don't see Shaul doing tshuva. Right, there's no dramatic moment where he cries out to Hashem and he says, forgive me because I've sinned, right? And, and Chazal, but Chazal do read between the lines. In number 26, um, they, Rabbi Yonatan says, you know, that uh, all the neviim they, they prophesied in their life, but Shmuel prophesied in his life and, and after he died because when, when he gets brought back up through the necromancer, right, he says to Sha'ul, if you listen, this is not really what it says in the Pasuk, but this is the reading between the lines, if you listen to what I'm saying, and you go out to war, and you give up your life, your death will be an atonement for you, you'll be with me, right, it says the word, you'll be with me, with me in heaven, Right? that's how the rabbis understand it and so shaul right, does exactly that right he goes and he fights right and he and he allows himself to be killed so that he could be together right you know with with uh, with Shmuel and abi right he bravely meets his death which i think is a very important point that we should not you know we should we should not ignore right he could have run away and he could have survived but he didn't right <laughs> right? So if he had his punishment, here, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But there is a problem here, right? He bravely meets his death, but there's something very broken about this. He gives up hope. God said, right? God through <laughs> Shemuel tells him, you're going to die tomorrow. And he says, okay, right? And he goes and he dies. Something off about that. Is that the Jewish way? Is that really the way that we're supposed to go? So there's a whole amazing story in Sefer Yahu that Hashem sent Yishayahu to tell, you know, that when Chizkiyahu was very sick, and to go to him and to say, right, you're going to die, you're not going to live. So Chizkiyah said, and Davin, right, please, you know, I, I've walked before you, Hashem, in truth, and he cried, and Hashem say, you know, came to, uh, to Yishayah and said, go tell Chizkiya, um that so says Hashem, the God of David Avicha, the God of David, your father, your great, great, great grandfather, that I've heard your prayer, and I will add to your life, 15 years. So what's this all about? So the Gemara gives the backstory. Why was Chizkiya sick? Why was Hashem going to kill him? Because he was not, right, he was not having, I'm not going to read the whole thing inside, but he was not going to, he didn't want to have children. Why? Because he, he was such a holy person, he saw in prophecy that his son was going to be a terrible, Menasha was going to be a terrible, evil king. Ah, so you just learned it. Amazing. So, so, so Yishayahu says to him, what do you mean? Right? That's not your business, right? Your job is to do puru revu. Your job is to have children if you can have children. And, you know, but what about the fact that your son, my son is going to be evil? That's not your business. That's God's business. Okay? So he says, okay, fine. You know, then he says to is his cousin, give me your daughter and I'll marry her we'll, you know, to have children. Right? He says, you're right. I'll do tshuva. And Ishayahu says here in the, the way the Gemara explains it, yeah, too late. You're going to die. <laughs> and what does he say? Um, he says Nigzera love gzera. It's already the decree's already done. Amarle, so says Khuskyo, and this is so important. Ben Amotz, right? Yishayahu, son of Amots, listen to me. Kaleni Vuatcha Vetse, enough with your prophecy and get out of my room. Kach Kublani mi beit vi Abba. My great great grandfather David taught us, and it's been passed down. Afilu Kherev Khadamakat al Savuro that even if there's a sharp knife on your, on your neck you never stop praying right? the way of David Melech is that you never give up you always cry out to Hashem what Shaul did, not crying out to Hashem is very un-Davidic right? I'm sorry that we're going over tomorrow, but I apologize but um, we'll just finish up in the next two minutes But right, he understood that it's never ever too late to cry out and, and, and it really speaks to the difference between Shaul and David Shaul is what you would call the tzaddik gamur, right? The complete tzaddik. And David is what you would call the bal tshuva. Now, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that Shaul, you know, only, only did righteousness and never sinned. Obviously, Shaul sinned very much. We're talking about personality types. A tzaddik gamur, if they do, if they sin, so they do tshuva and they come back to their position, they fix what the problem is and then they're back in their, you know, every day-to-day situation, right? A bal tshuva always feels broken right? David always, right, he says in Tehillim, my sin is before me always. There's always a constant yearning to draw closer, to fix that which is broken, right? You see Rav Cook wrote his Orot like, That That's the attitude that a, holy, that a Jew is really supposed to have, to always be about Baal It doesn't matter whether you've sinned today or not. To always have your sin before you, meaning you know that you're broken, that you're not whole, that you need Hashem to be whole. It's this intense striving and emotional crying out to Hashem. It's a personality type Right and, and in the Gemara it says right that the Bal Chuva Omdin right Omdin right where Bal Tshuva stands a tzadik gemurk does not reach that place. There's a certain kind of a relationship that a Bal Tshuva has with Hashem that a tzadik gemurk simply doesn't have, right? Because that feeling of brokenness that David always had, right, constantly drives you to want to be closer and closer and closer. You can read through some of the different sources here. But I'll just finish with this. We shouldn't, despite all of Shaul's flaws, we shouldn't forget all of his accomplishments. He created an army. We didn't have an army. Remember, there were two swords. He had one and and Yonatan had one. That's where Am Yisrael was. By the time he dies, we're like a real nation with a real army. That's an unbelievable accomplishment. The Pesukim that have listed here, he goes, and in one Pesuk it tells us, he killed, he went off and battled six or seven different nations, all the enemies around Israel. He battled them. Think about, right, you know, the Chilonim, the, the you know, the, the, the original pioneers in 48, fighting on five fronts. That was Shaul. He had, he had nothing. He started with no army. And he went and he goes and he somehow makes, out of the Haganah and the Irgun, he makes an actual IDF and he defends Am Yisrael and Iran while they're being attacked from all different angles. This is not a failure, Right, David right, Shaul is not a failure, and especially the greatest thing that he did was that he united Am Yisrael. Right? He's the first king, and he's the one who's able to hold all of Am Yisrael together. Despite all of his flaws, to the, right, to the very day he died, he kept all of Am Yisrael together as one united nation. As we know, as we learned over this past year, that ain't no small thing.